Hello and welcome to the Sleep Teacher Pod, the podcast for all the parents out there who just want sleep. I'm Christy, owner of The Sleep Teacher, and I am joined by my colleague, Beck. If you are in the trenches of sleep deprivation, we see you, we feel you, and trust us, this podcast is going to become your new BFF. We want you to know that you can still be a lovingly attached parent and get good sleep. You don't have to choose between the two. So pop Bub in the carrier, grab yourself a coffee, put those headphones in, because we have all the sleep tips coming your way. Let's get napping, Mama. Hello, everybody. It is Christy and Beck from The Sleep Teacher. We are back for another week of nap chat. <laughs> and this week we have the amazing Jen Butler from Connected Parenting Australia on with us. We're so excited about this, aren't we, Beck? Yes, I was very excited to have Jen on because I love toddlers and all things toddlers as hard as they <laughs> Well, you are in the thick of toddler. Yes, I am. Yes, last time. <laughs> but last one, yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> it's always that bit easier, isn't it, when you know it's the last one. I feel like you just have that little bit extra patience and tolerance for everything that they do. Yeah. <laughs> My girls are always like, oh, but you never go mad at Hattie for this. If we do that, I'm like, yeah, it's it's hard being the, the eldest, oh, but you'll, sure. <laughs> you'll appreciate it when you're grown up. Yeah, and they get distracted a bit more easily with their siblings, so you can kind of just distract, you know, with the big meltdown, like send your older kid over and, you know, <laughs> get them to snap out of it, hopefully. The mini mum. Yes. But um, yeah, so no, it was really good talking to her and getting all her tips and tricks to help yeah. her out. You know, you always got that person where you're having really hard days in the newborn days and then they're like, oh, wait till they're a toddler, which is not what you want to hear. <laughs> Yeah, I know. (laughs) So much more independence and strong-willed and, yeah, yeah. the whole new ballgame. It is. Let the fun begin. Yes, for sure. (laughs) For anyone going through toddler, my gosh. But bear with me, since I spoke to you all last week, I've obviously come down with a little bit of a cold off the plane. I wasn't going to mention your man voice, but that's okay. (sighs) Yeah, I know. I just, that's what I said to Mitch before. I was like, see, this is a sign. We weren't meant to come home. We meant to stay there. Oh, my gosh. No. (laughs) But anyway, we'll power through. That's what we do. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So just a little bit of a community update. We've had so many new followers and listens and downloads and it's so nice to see. But yeah, by far our most popular episodes have been the four-month regression and the early rising, which I totally get. Both are absolute, absolutely brutal. (laughs) So yeah, we totally understand that. We'd love to know though, what would you like to see as another one of our topics? If you head over to our stories today or later in the week, just send us a DM. We would love to hear any topics you have in mind because yeah, we obviously aim to please. And yeah, we'd love to know what you want to hear. It was actually so funny. I had a Facebook memory come up yesterday, which was what, six years ago? So Billy would have been eight or nine, something like that, months. And it was like, you know how I don't like birds. It was like number... Oh, feelings mutual. (laughs) Number however many reason what else that I don't like birds is because... Billy is waking up with them. So it was like 4.30 or something and I'd post it on Facebook. Uh, I was like, oh, good times. Pop that white noise up, crank it up. (laughs) Oh, God. So in today's app, Jen is going to be touching on connection and boundaries because boundaries are a huge one when it comes to toddlers, not just in everyday life, but 
especially sleep. So Jen's going to talk to us about how we can simply take nine minutes out of our day. Nine minutes is all it takes to actually create connection and a bond. So it can really be make or break on daycare days and, you know, overtired afternoons where you're having that bedtime battle. So if you can take nine minutes out of your day to really create that bond, it really can make all the difference. So, And even she mentions little easy tips to get that connection in where it might not involve, you know, sitting down and stopping everything. It's just little helpful things, touches yes, here and yeah, there. Yeah. yeah. So I really liked those too. For busy mums, mm. definitely what we need. Yeah. yeah, and also like from a science perspective as well, like what happens to us when our children are having meltdowns and why we just automatically just throw all the yeses at them and just like, yes, take this, have this. Or just um, throw all the snacks at them. <laughs> oh, yeah. Snacks are life. (laughs) So, yeah, I'm really excited about this. We deal with a lot of parents who have, you know, we get a lot of DMs like, do you deal with toddlers? Do you deal with preschools? Yes, we work up to the age of five. And more often than not in that age group, it all comes down to boundaries. We've worked with so many clients that have had bedtime stalling, which therefore then leads to night wakes because mum's just doing whatever she can and handing over all the demands because she just wants her little one to get to sleep. She just wants to get to sleep herself. And it's just about having those boundaries in place and then just sort of (laughs) enjoying the benefits of those. So it really does have a knock-on effect when it comes to sleep. So excited to get you all in. But firstly, I have a quick Midnight Mummers recommendation for you all as well. On the plane, Mitch and I downloaded the whole Beckham documentary, which Ooh. 99% of Australia's probably watched the most. That is all I'm hearing I about. I highly recommend yeah. getting on it. Yeah, I really do. Henry is away today. That is on the list. Oh, it's like four episodes, I think an hour and a half each. So easy to binge. Yeah. And yeah, you can sort of stop and start it. But I would highly recommend. Were you a Spice Girls fan? I was, yeah. I liked Baby Spice. Baby Spice. <laughs> but I was only like, I don't know. I had all the Barbies and everything. Oh, I was, Ginger was my fave. Love Jerry. Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, let's get into it. Hi, Jen. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. Hello. So excited. <laughs> oh, we love what you do. So would you like to tell our audience a little bit about yourself, what you do? Absolutely. So a parent educator, mum to four boys. And the reason that I do what I do, I guess I found myself as a social worker, daughter of a family therapist, having my children thinking I would be the most amazing mum. And then I found myself knee deep in at least two of them, not even four of them, thinking this is so much harder than I thought it would be. Um, Parenting is so much easier before you become a parent. I found meltdowns and setting boundaries, dealing with big feelings in my toddler really, really hard and not feeling clear about exactly how I should work through it. So I sort of set off on my own mission, which has eventually become connected parenting and helping so many other parents with the same issues. I'm passionate about helping people with toddlers. <laughs> oh, toddlers are fun. And yeah, like you said, we are all an expert in hindsight, aren't we? <laughs> then once that, that little one comes, they really do test your patience. Mm. Completely. <laughs> yeah. Can you, like for us, I think we see, you know, the importance of boundaries, not only is parents and dealing with our own children. That's another story. But also with our clients sort of come bedtime and holding that boundary because, you know, in in the day, I think come bedtime, we're all exhausted and we just want the easiest result. Like, yeah, we don't want any kickback. (laughs) Can you explain 
why are boundaries so important? <laughs> I have so much to say. I feel like this one question could just be the whole podcast. Um, okay, so first of all, boundaries are so, so, so important because boundaries make our kids feel safe. Our little two, three and four-year-olds, I know they sometimes look like tiny terrorists that want to be running the show, but actually they want to know that someone else is able to take charge when they need it. And they need it a lot because the frontal part of their brain, we know their brain is in two parts. We've got the back part of the brain, which is all their emotions and they've got all of that firing on all cylinders from birth. But the front part of the brain, the part that is the CEO that regulates emotion, that makes them have impulse control and, you know, even just the ability to be compassionate and think of others, all of that is not fully formed till our kids are 25. So it's a really slow burn in terms of getting that all happening. So they really need to know that when their frontal lobe is not working, for example, when they want what they want, and that could be a, a biscuit in the kitchen or it could be wanting to stay up and be near us at night, that we are able to step in and take charge in those moments. So not only does that make our kids feel safe, but boundaries are how we as parents self-care. They're how we juggle more than one child and they're how we get the whole machine to work. But what gets in the way of a parent in setting a boundary is not actually necessarily that they don't know how to say no. It's the worry about the emotions that follow. It's not that we can't say no. It's that we can't handle the meltdown that happens. Mm. So really what the work of parenting is, is getting more comfortable with our feelings about feelings. So that is a lot of what I do in a big nutshell. Because a lot of our clients are so triggered by big feelings from our toddlers and the crying and the tantrum. And that is where they become, okay, you want, you know, to say goodnight to the tree or like, you know, these crazy things. The list goes on. Yeah. And that's a lot of what we talk about on these consults. Like we just need to be okay with like sitting in that emotion, but still holding that boundary of like, I hear what you're saying, but you know, it's still bedtime. We're still doing this. Yeah. I know. And that's one of the things too, that of a day, we seem to be okay with them having that little bit of pushing of the boundaries, that little bit of kickback, whether Beck and I always sort of use the analogy, like if they, if you were popping your little one in their car seat and they were arching their back, not wanting to get in, you know, that they need to get in in that car seat. They need to be strapped in for safety. You're not going to probably give it a second thought. You're just going to say, okay, that's all right. We need to get in. It's okay. But come bedtime, if there is that pushback, that emotion, that boundary being pushed, all of a sudden we sort of get, I don't know, it's, it's just a different emotion that a lot of parents struggle with. And I don't know if it's because of that stigma around sleep training and the fact that there's emotion involved or if it's just that we're utterly exhausted. <laughs> but it just seems to all unravel come bedtime. I think there's a couple of factors going on. In terms of the immediate situation with bedtime, I think sometimes parents can get caught up in the fear that it might wake another child, that, um, you know, if I lean into the emotion or hold the limit here, that the meltdown will get so bad we'll all never get to sleep. So we wind up maybe lying with our child to get them to sleep and then we know that if we lie with them to get them to sleep when they wake and we're gone, they're going to seek us out again. And so it it can build 
into something that parents are not liking or it's not working for them. So taking a step then back into the broader picture, one of the reasons we struggle with boundaries is that it will create emotion. And for a lot of us, the way that we're trying to welcome our kids' emotions is a bit different to the way our parents did. So for most of us, if we kicked up a stink about something, we were just being sent to our room or given a smack. We're sort of trying to parent that differently. And yet, because of the way we feel about feelings, when our child is really dysregulated, when they're having a meltdown, they're crying for us, our brain actually as parents can go into fight or flight. So we're no longer thinking clearly and that's why it's our understanding of emotion that is so important in that moment. And then becoming aware. So what I do with parents in terms of helping them to, first of all, establish if we need to change anything. So a parent might come to me actually like at least (laughs) once a day, a parent will come to me and say, I lie with my child to get them to sleep at night 10 and I'm wondering, you know, is this a boundary moment? And so I will always say back, is this a problem for you or is this working for you? Is this working for you? Is this working for your child? And 50% of people will say, honestly, yeah, it's working okay. My child falls asleep within four minutes. It's consistent with my values in parenting. It's quite nice, blah, blah, blah. And I'll be like, great, sounds amazing. Like Amazing, keep doing it, yeah. And the other 50% before I've even said, is this working for you? They will be saying, Jen, it's not working for me. Like it's impacting my sleep. It's impacting my work the next day. It's impacting my relationship. I lie there seating. And herein lies the problem in that. If you're lying there with your child and it's not working for you, even if you don't say that, they can sense that and then they need you more. So then we're stuck in this pattern. It's actually making our child feel less safe, less able to go to sleep and it's not working for us, and then we're not able to be the parent we want to be the next day, so we're not managing meltdowns well the next day because we're kind of burnt out by the whole thing, and we're actually kind of reinforcing this passion that isn't working. And often when we sort of realise that we are allowed as parents to say, you know what, love it to the moon and back, and I know that you've really loved that I've been lying with you to get you to sleep, and that's actually not working with me any- for me anymore. And I want to do it a bit different. And we prep our child and we would say, this is how I want to do it a bit different. And then in the moment, it's about, yeah, leaning in and saying, I know you really would like it if I lay here with you, but I know you've got this and I can't wait to see you in the morning. I'm going to be just outside. You're completely safe. And often, like I find, it makes such a difference. Mm -hmm. Yeah. As opposed to, I guess, giving off that, that vibe that it's a chore and you're not really enjoying that and the problem is that our kids can sense it even if we don't show it and so what happens they actually have trouble falling asleep and so we are in a pattern where we're lying with our child it's taking till 10 o'clock at night it ends in a meltdown we wind up yelling and so that would be for me I'd be if I was working with a parent I'd be saying okay I don't think that's working (laughs) you know and it's that's the, the most key thing is this working for you is the is for me that's a starting point and we get to say that like in terms of boundaries Another example that's by day, you know, a mum of a second child might be feeding the baby and the older child is climbing on her shoulders and she's thinking in her head, this isn't working for me, but I don't want to upset my child. They're adjusting to being a big sister or brother. I don't want to push them aside, so I'll sort of put up with it. And we do that enough, we're going to wind up snapping or not being the parent we want to be. And actually it's so much kinder and so much more loving to say, darling, I love you so much. I don't want you standing on my shoulders. You can sit next to me and we can read a book together, but I I won't let you stand on me. And then our kids know where they stand. And the other huge benefit of those boundaries 
what we're teaching our kids in that little interaction around bedtime or around a biscuit or whatever, what we're teaching our kids is I can love you to the moon and back and still not want to do everything you want to do. I get to say what works for me. And what we're actually modeling longer term, like picture your child at 16 at a party and a mate is saying, if you really cared about me, you would do this thing. And we've modeled for our child that ability to say, may I, I adore you, but I'm not doing that. I get to choose. And that's the more powerful thing that I think we miss. Yeah. And I think a lot of the time parents are so just wanting to silence the cry. So they just are doing everything and anything, but we can see that you know, the toddler might be screaming for a drink of water. Okay, we'll get you the drink of water. No, that's not cutting it. Now I want something else. So it's, it is really just this, (laughs) you're never going to be able to reason at that point with your toddler. So it's really, I think that's where we come in and be like, we just have to feel okay within ourselves to, yeah, like hold the boundary, hear them. And then what's the next step? Like, what does that settle look like? Which is obviously where, you know, we go into that, but yeah, I think moving away from like having to silence the crying and yeah, being comfortable <laughs> with it's really it. It's hard to do. Like we, we live in a society where, you know, a baby cries from the minute that first baby cries, we're thinking my job is to fix this or solve this or stop this. And actually sometimes babies cry to just get a feeling out and mm. struggle is really important. And our, our toddler falls over and we say, dust it off, you're okay. And so a child crying at bedtime, we might be doing everything we can to fix it or solve it or say, you know, and again, like, you know, the, the 10th class of water isn't about the water. <laughs> it's about, it's really hard to say goodbye to mummy sometimes at night. Yeah. And for kids, and- it does feel like a goodbye. It's like a daycare drop-off. So the same strategy I would approach to a daycare drop-off, which is, you know, we absolutely want to sit in that emotion and go, that makes sense to not want to separate. And I think like they have so much structure throughout the day and restriction and they do just sometimes, it does just come down to wanting, you know, a little bit of a longer leash and being able to be in control, I guess, as well. So sometimes like we do find that with our clients, like giving something we call like limited choices where essentially you're giving them the option, but it's still getting you the desired result. So it might be something like, let's go get our jammies on. Would you like the bluey jammies or would you like the wiggle jammies or? Instead of like, do you want to get dressed? Get dressed. (laughs) No. (laughs) So it's just giving that little bit of control back, which we do find lessens the kickback a little. What do you think about that? A hundred percent. So we know that children, particularly young children, go so much better with two choices or two steps. So I love using first and then. So, you know, our child might want to do whatever it is. Maybe they really want to have dessert, you know, and we're like, so first we're going to have dinner and then we can have that dessert. That works really well because in a minute or later or afterwards, it's just too abstract for little kids. Or no, you're going to eat your dinner first. (laughs) First and then Kids can understand two steps and they also can understand at that limited choice because they do want some choice. They're they're actual biologically wired to be pushing us. They're not meant to just be compliant and do what we say, like, oh, you want me to go to bed or brush my teeth? Sure. They're meant to push and 
by giving them that, like, you know, yeah, with my kids, I say, do you want to hold the toothbrush first or do you want mummy to hold it? So giving kids those limited choices gives them a sense of autonomy and control. And that helps a lot with taking the struggle out. But ultimately, there's going to be a moment that your child says, and I don't want to brush my teeth. And one of the things we do is we avoid that emotion. So we're like, but you know, if you don't brush your teeth, you'll get holes in them or, you know, whatever. We go in with logic or our child says, I'm scared about separating from you at night. And we go, oh, there's nothing to be scared of here. But actually, if we can just lean into that and go, yeah, I know what that's like. I can have absolute belief in you that I know you've got this and totally still empathize that I can I can understand. It's really hard to say goodbye to mummy sometimes. We sit in that and actually hold it for a few seconds. Like, can I tell you a story actually? Because the first time I ever did this, when I started learning about the way emotions make us feel as parents and how they can impact us, one of the biggest things I learned is that it's all about emotion. Everything is. And one night I was sitting with my son and I was sort of single parenting at the time because my husband was traveling for work. He normally went to bed fine at seven, always like a dream. And I'd booked a sitter and I was trying to get out. And you know how sometimes kids can sense that stress of like, I'm trying to go somewhere. And so he was amping up. He's like, I don't want to go to bed. And I was like, you've got to go to bed. So we're in this battle and he's getting more and more upset and I'm getting more and more upset. And I wound up yelling at him and then he was sort of so upset. I was thinking, I'm not even going to be able to leave. Like it's not working. And then I kind of remembered all this stuff I'd been learning about emotions and that I just needed to let him know I got it. I didn't need to change the limit. The limit was he was still going to bed, but I had to let him know I got it. I took a deep breath. I sat down on his bed and I just went, it's really hard to go to bed sometimes. And he stopped crying and like went like that. And then I went, sometimes I find it hard to go to bed too. Like I, I'm even as a grown up, I find it hard too sometimes. Before I had even finished the sentence, he had pulled up his covers and rolled over. And I sat there in the dark going, oh, my gosh. <laughs> like, Just that like acknowledgement as well. Yeah, I could be seen. <laughs> because kids will push and push and push until they feel heard. So, we, you know, they might drop their drink bottle in the back seat of the car and say, I dropped my bottle. And we're going, well, I'm driving. And then they're going, I dropped my bottle. And we're going, but, you know, I'll get. I'll get arrested if I turn around. And they go, I got my bottle. I'm like, do you want mommy to crash the car? And if you just stop and say, you dropped your bottle. You are so upset about this. This is so hard. Often there's this silence. And then you say, at the next line, pick it up. And they're like, okay. Because they just want to be heard. And it, it absolutely applies at bedtime. And it's the hardest at bedtime and daycare drop-off because we feel that sense of I'm responsible for my child's feeling. If they're upset and it's my fault, then I need to fix it. But actually, if we just went with that and then never sent them to daycare, we would be robbing them of that opportunity of the great day we know they're going to have. And we know that they're going to benefit from us taking charge and saying, it's now bedtime. And I know it's hard to wind down, but I know you've got these. And I think there's lots we can do to prep them when they're calm and and lots of strategies we can put in place and having a connection ritual that really, really help. But ultimately, we, you know, I still have to say to my 14-year-old, you're done. Like (laughs) it's Mm. bedtime because even at 14, he's not got the capacity to always make the right choice with that stuff. And just touching on like especially when we've had toddlers that have been separated with us for the day, you know, with daycare and and then coming home and it's it's that rush of, okay, I've got, you might have a baby, you've got to do dinner, bath, all that sort of stuff. So we always try and say like, 
just find pockets of time in that where you can just sort of fill your toddler's cup up and have little bits of just that, you know, what do they want to do? Even if it's five minutes and then sometimes we can see that that resistance come bedtime for that separation again has been lessened. But do you have any tips in little ways that we can show that connection in that really busy time when we've got home from daycare and it's sort of on (laughs) and most of the time we're doing it, you know, without our partners. So yeah, is there anything there that can help? You're you're talking, I've lived it. (laughs) It's so hard. (laughs) One of the most powerful things that I have found in my own home is literally saying the child's name and winking. That takes a split second, and if mm. you watch their little bodies in the mm. seconds after you do it, they're like, she loves me. Yeah. Like it's so <laughs> small, and it makes such a difference. Like obviously having rhythm and routine really helps, but in terms of filling that cup, you're right about it only needing to be five minutes, five to nine, nine minutes of one-on-one fully focused time is enough to absolutely fill our toddler's cup, but also regulate their brain. Because part of what's happening at the end of the day is that, actually, I want to get to that in a second. There's something else in that, but I want to just say on connection. So special time, little like winks. But the other thing is like making up a secret code that you could have with your child where it might be so one day I was walking with my son who's quite reserved and I just pushed his hand, I was holding his hand, I just pressed into his hand three times and he goes, why did you do that? And I said, it's code for I love you and it's like a secret code. Oh, my gosh, I have that with my first. (laughs) We squeeze uh, squeeze out his hand and that's I love you without speaking, yeah. (laughs) Really more powerful than the words for little kids because they can't process that abstract concept of I love you but if we show them physically it lands Mm. and then about 20 minutes later he squeezed back three times and I was like oh so cute things it's showing delight for no reason it's limiting praise and focusing on just noticing like I notice how much you love drawing is so much more effective at filling a cup than good job put it on the fridge Mm. like I am interested in you that kind of thing makes a big difference Mm. But just on that, I think one of the things that happens with that, like, yes, it's connection, but sometimes it's also understanding that there is an element where they sometimes need to get some emotion out or have a bit of a cry. And one of the problems is like, say we pick them up and maybe they're upset over wanting a biscuit before dinner and we don't say no. We go, okay, okay, just one. And they, uh, there's a battle over TV. We say, okay. And we're almost every time we're collapsing, if it's not working for us, we're kicking that can down the road and the last place that can can land is bedtime. And so sometimes you might, if you bring it back and go, okay, so I'm going to say no to this biscuit before dinner and my child is going to have a massive meltdown and I'm going to sit in it and co-regulate and do the thing and say it's really hard sometimes being three or it's a big day at school or it's hard being a big brother or it's hard not getting the cookie and we do that. And then when it comes bedtime, actually the battle's not there anymore. So it's being aware that sometimes kids will give out up to 10 micro emotions or smaller moments of emotion before they're melting down. And sometimes if we can welcome around 30% of these, like allow, oh, you're really not feeling it about dinner, that's really tough. We allow a little bit of that in the early evening 
we're less likely to get a massive pushback at bedtime because they're not seeking out the opportunity to have that big cry or to let those feelings out. Because mm. I doesn't or bottle up throughout the day. And yeah, because I have seen I I worked in childcare previous to this in the toddler room, and you know they've had a great day, and then their parent comes and they are like on the floor crying because it's like they've held all this stuff in all day, and then and the parents like. Oh, what? Like, yeah. <laughs> you're seeing me and you're bursting into tears. It's like, oh, that's like actually, you know, you're their safe place and they're letting all this out. So I think that can be hard as well than going home and dealing with this two, three-year-old who is just melting at every single thing. And then most of the time we do have another sibling. So yeah, is it better to try and what you're saying, like, sit with them a little bit in the lead up to the bedtime rather than just like saying, yes, 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 like here's a biscuit, here's a screen, and then coming to the big battle at bedtime. Yeah, sort of knowing that those emotions are going to come out somewhere. When my youngest son was around four, I noticed that on a Thursday when he'd done the three days of daycare, he would come out without fail. He looks at the table, we're all eating spaghetti bolognese for dinner, and he would look me in the eye and go, I'm going to have an ice cream for dinner. And like, I would just go, well, no. <laughs> My answer spun begin after three days a day. Yeah. Oh. Have a little sip of wine. Okay. We're in it now. Yeah. <laughs> on a Thursday. So he's held it together for three days. It's like walking to that kitchen. He'd say, come on, mom, we need to do this. And we're on. <laughs> knows I'm going to say no to that ice cream. And I would say, you know, my answer's no. And he would just go, well, I know where they are. So I'm just going over to the freezer to get them. And then next thing would be in this massive battle. And I'd be sitting there between him and the freezer saying, I know you want an ice cream so much. And it's so hard. And my answer's still no. And he would cry for 10 minutes. And then he would like, just go, you know, okay, I might have my dinner now. And he'd, yeah. <laughs> he'd get up and eat his dinner. And I'm absolutely positive. And that's something I was not doing. When I was a mum to my first child, I didn't know about that. I would have sort of just gone, oh, my goodness, he's so, I don't know what to do, just give him. Have all the ice cream. <laughs> the ice cream. Take the whole box. <laughs> or I would have thrown the box of ice creams in the bin in front of him and gone, that's what you get yeah. for crying. But, yeah. yeah. He would not feel his emotions from it. And then what we know is that kids will push and push and push until they feel heard. So if you can just sit in it and go, all right, we're doing it, and kind of the better we get, it just like I just literally open my palms, I take a deep breath, and it feels just as terrible as a parent educator when your child is melting down than, you know, when it, it sort of is one of those things that on one hand it doesn't get better, but I've just seen the difference. And what we know from the evidence is that if we can just sit in that and really allow our child to know, yeah, like that makes sense, you're only three and you want an ice cream and I've said no, and it's hard when mummy says no. Mm-hmm. And then we allow that and then next thing those meltdowns reduce in length and we're just less likely to see them cry over the next thing and the next thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, even just acknowledging, you know, a lot of the go-to is like they trip or fall or whatever. It's like, come on, get up, you're okay, you're okay, like trying to like, and I think if you just take a pause and be like, oh, like you okay, buddy, like that that looked like it might have hurt you. That hurt. And they're so much quicker at like, oh, yeah, I'm okay. Let's go. <laughs> I know. I'm often like with my kids. I'm like, if I don't, make yeah, that, like, that'll be okay. <laughs> they won't cry. Uh, so it is. It, I think a lot of it is just trying to acknowledge because we feel so frustrated when they're not listening to us. And like, I feel like a lot of the time, toddlers do get 
pushed and like, you know, because you're busy, especially if you've got a baby, it's like, read a book to me. It's like, I can't right now. Not now. Yeah. So I think. Well, mummy's getting dinner. <laughs> they hear no a lot. Yeah. So. And we all know that as parents, we know that. And I think sometimes too, the fact that we're withholding that guilt mm. sometimes makes us more frustrated as well. I know myself, sometimes I'm just already feeling guilty and then I'll just take that frustration out on the kids. <laughs> the fact that I'm feeling guilty about potentially not spending time with them or being short with them or something like that. And yeah, it's really hard. Like how can we, I guess, keep those boundaries in place but still manage keep our cool. Manage our yeah. too. <laughs> <laughs> keep though, cool. Yeah. Keeping keeping our cool is yeah something I do struggle with sometimes. <laughs> She is getting older and back chatting. Oh, yeah. The attitude. So much attitude. How can we keep our call? Self-compassion and boundaries. So when we all lose it, because everybody loses it, right? Everybody has moments where we're not sound. In hindsight, we look back and go, there there was nothing kind about the way I just responded. When we're locking ourselves in the bedroom. (laughs) Or when you're, yeah, you're locking yourself in the bedroom. Like, A, when you've got little kids underfoot, it's a really hard job and you can't get it right all the time. And the good news is you don't need to. So when we're talking about particularly welcoming feelings, that stuff I just talked about, so those moments where we open our palms and say, oh, no, it's really hard and I'm totally with you, we're shooting to get that right around 30% of the time. So that's a really important one because there are many times that is magical, right? And <laughs> you're doing it, right? It's It's something that, we can't welcome every feeling our child ever has because actually we would never leave the house again and that wouldn't be in the interests of our kids. Like that wouldn't be good for them because sometimes they need to struggle and sometimes like I don't personally have it in me like <laughs> to like deal with every single meltdown my four kids have ever had and sometimes I've stepped over them and gone and taken a big deep breath before I come back to sort of do yeah. what I need to do next. And so that step out for a minute. Step out. That is totally okay. When we do stuff up and we yell, it's really important to go back and say sorry to our kids. Like we know from the evidence, if we can repair, that's really important. But I think the bigger question then is what happened there? Was I hot? Like sometimes we do get, and you know, it, I, I do consider myself pretty good with boundaries because I've really worked on it, but I will still get kind of, you get caught up in the wants and the wishes of our kids. And next thing we're sort of doing more than is possible or works for us. And so it's constantly bringing ourselves back and going, you know, I really said yes to his request and his request and his request. And next thing I was yelling because it was too much. And so it's your ability to sort of set those limits around what works for us as parents. Like we get to say, I, you know, I adore you guys. And my answer is still no on things. And that helps with when we're feeling like we're not being the parent we want to be in the moment. And then the other thing is self-compassion. Like, this is a really hard gig and I'm doing the best that I can. And the nicer we are to ourselves, particularly when we lose it, the less likely we are to lose it again. And yet our instinct is to sit on the couch and berate ourselves and say, why am I such a shouty, terrible mom? But in actual fact, if we can acknowledge and be kind to ourselves and say, wow, I must have felt really under pressure to to yell, this is a hard gig. And then that can make you think, okay, I need to talk to my partner about sharing the workload and whatever. But that self-compassion goes a really long way. And when we do that for ourselves, our children pick up on that. And they, instead of us being really hard on ourselves and modeling that, they then pick up that, you know, when they make a mistake, they can be compassionate and it, it all flows. Yeah. I think that's something like just 
just like we all love our kids, like they're everything. We want to give them the world, but just knowing sometimes it's okay to say no and it may not be a direct N-O, it might be worded differently, but just I think being okay with saying Well, that. no is an is a answer as well. Like we don't, yeah, I think we always try and give them what they're wanting, but sometimes yeah. it's like, no, we're not doing that. Like that's it. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Why, Beck? Why aren't we? I know. Why? And then we take them outside. <laughs> <laughs> what I would do with the why, and this would happen at bedtime, right? Why, why, why can't I, whatever. And then I'd be, I try to get in behind that why the underlying feeling is you're really finding this bit hard or you really don't want to go to bed or you really. Oh, they just want you I there. Would. Yeah, you're not, yeah. Yeah, you really want mummy. I get it. And then our no, I'm a big fan of the word no. And there was a trend in the 90s that taught parents you couldn't say the word no, that toddlers hear the word no too often. And like, I, I no is really clear. And it can be really good to get down, especially when they're pestering, pestering, pestering. And I've got a child that was sent to earth to test everything that I teach. And I will just get down and go, you know, I hear you. You want this so much. And you, you feel really, really strongly about it. I get it. And then I will literally wait, touch him on the shoulder and go, my answer is no, it is not happening. And I will be that clear because sometimes, especially if we have been in a pattern of collapsing, our kids are like, yeah, but we always do this dance. So like I pester and pester and then you you sort of say, okay, just one. Mm. So it's sort of getting down and going, listen, I see how much you want it. I'm able to hold that limit with kindness and confidence and I'm being a really good leader. And my job is to hold that limit. Your job is to get as upset as you want about it. And I totally could understand if you hate me right now because of what I've said. That's absolutely within your power to do and I'm going to hold that limit. Because, I mean, the bigger picture when you hold a limit is that, I mean, we know from the evidence it makes kids feel safe, but we also know that when we kind of just say I do collapse in, just say my child, we try to set a limit around something and then we say, okay, fine, <laughs> just once. Yeah. If we do it in that way where what the message we're sending is those feelings you had, which were so big and scary for you, they were also big and scary with me. And so I changed my mind about what I had decided because they were so scary. Like I agree with you, these monsters in the dark are so scary. I give in to. And we're almost kind of agreeing with the fears and the and the kind of really complicated stuff. And then I feel it can just reinforce that the next night, okay, we did this song and dance for an hour and then mum or dad or whoever it is, you know, we got to the end result that what we wanted, which was laying with us or whatever it was. Yeah, that inconsistent reinforcement. Yeah, and that's something we see so commonly when working with clients and we always try to explain you can still be lovingly attached and caring and show empathy but hold a boundary mm. yeah completely. and the fact that you're holding that boundary I think to be honest probably well it lessens really... it for ongoing situations as well because they do know that okay I can have these big emotions but you know that it's still the same sort of what we're heading towards and achieving which is you know most of the time bedtime or whatever it is. So, yeah, totally. So one of the problems with like when we collapse because of fear of feelings and one of the fears we can have or one of the feelings we can struggle with is fear, right? And so our child's scared to separate in some way, whether that's going off to daycare or going to bed, and then we say, oh, this emotion got too much, I just give in, but we do it in this way that's like not regulated and not controlled. We're sort of agreeing, yes, 
this thing is really scary, you should be scared of it. <laughs> I I agree. And so actually, whereas you can change your mind on a limit, you know, you get to, as a parent, you get to like an easy example is a biscuit, but just say my child does come into the kitchen and they say, can I have a biscuit? And I say, no, that doesn't work for me. But then I can see they're going to get really worked up. And maybe I take a step back and go, actually, dinner is about an hour away. This could get us to dinner in one piece. This actually does, I don't mind. You know how sometimes you get, you know, (laughs) buy me some time. Okay, is this the hill I want to die on? And so you actually can change your mind. If you go, hold on a second, I've thought about it and I can hear this is something that's really important to you and so here is what I'm willing to do or not do. That's quite different to just going, oh, my God, the emotions are too hard, just have have it, have the thing or let's do the thing, just don't be sad, don't be mad. And what about those kids who have been, you know, doing something for a number of months or years and probably more the three-year-olds now who the parents are wanting to start to, you know, pop a boundary in what that looks like and they're getting very physical and like kicking, hitting, very eruptive behaviour. Is there any advice around for those little cherubs? I know that's really hard and super, super common. So first of all, know that no child is choosing to hit or hurt at any point in time. So kids go well when they can. And if kids could, they would happily say no, no, and go to bed. And they would, when we say no to things, they would say, oh, you've set a boundary in four reasonable steps. Sure. I'll I'll just do what you want. But they're not that on board. (laughs) Thanks for the feedback. But the truth is they're just not capable of it. So when a child is kicking and hitting, the biggest thing to almost reframe instead of often as parents, we can feel like I, I often work with parents and they're saying, I feel like I'm being bullied or I feel like I'm living with a, a terrorist or, you know, and the child will get so worked up at night. And that can be really hard to sort of feel like, well, if I say no to something, my child will kick and hit me. Mm-hmm. What we want to almost do is really bring it back. And people will say to me, you don't understand how strong my three-year-old is. And I will look at them and go, I'm sure he or she is strong, but I know you're stronger. So yeah. um, we have the same conversations. <laughs> I just want parents to remember you are it's so important you're in charge and that is hard but if we can step up and go what looks angry we know anger is a front emotion so a child that's kicking hitting hurting underneath that is fear or sadness every time every day of the week so what we want to be doing is getting to that underlying emotion but w- the way that we do that is we've got to contain so I would physically be saying the words, I won't let you hit, I won't let you kick, I'm going to stand up or I'm going to hold your arms to keep us safe. And then following that with a really swift serve of de-shaming because nobody feels good when they've just hit their mum or dad or their brother or sister or thrown something. Like that's a sign of real dysregulation, but we have to contain first. And containment may look like holding arms. It may look like I'm going to move us to your room so that we're safe. Sometimes just moving a child out of a big environment to a smaller environment is helpful. We're trying to stay with them. But we absolutely, and again, that's our boundaries, I won't let you hit or hurt because that's like a core rule in our family or I won't let you damage property. So I wouldn't be letting a child rampage around throwing things because they don't want to be doing that. You've got to remember that's not a choice. That's like, oh, my goodness, I've lost my frontal lobe. Our job as parents is to step in and be it. So we have to regulate for them. There's no point in talking or coaching or doing anything else in that moment until we're safe and connected again. Mm. And even then, the punishment 
is the fact it felt so awful to get that upset that we hit our mum. So we don't need to give consequences. We're just containing. And then we say, oh, gosh, things got really out of hand there. You felt so awful. You know, we just co-regulate until they're back down. And the more we can just do that calmly, the quicker our child will learn another way to communicate that emotion when they get that distressed. Mm. Yeah, cool. Yeah, and a lot of that will come with that change as well of this is now what bedtime looks like. So once you keep doing that each night, obviously that fear and they learn, oh, I'm actually okay in my bed without mum or dad here, you know, that sort of thing. So that helps as well. Completely. I think, you know, when we've been doing a dance a certain way with our child for a long time and we suddenly change the steps, it can feel really scary. And so we almost need to be firmer and more consistent with those boundaries because they're going to push up against that change step. But I like to take it back a bit. Like if a parent is going to change, if if, if a parent decides bedtime is not working for me or my child, then I take it back and I start with lots of prep and coaching for the child in advance. So we would draw it out on a whiteboard. We'd create three steps. But almost the biggest step before that is both parents agreeing, okay, we want this to be different and we're ready to do it. And then we want to prep our child with three steps to bedtime and exactly what it looks like. And we talk through it a day out so that they know what's coming. And then I would role play it with toys and stuff to get them really on board, have a practice with putting Teddy to bed. And then we've got to do it in the moment. And that's about a parent feeling really comfortable with that ability to set a boundary. And really it's about, it's it's sort of like an empathy sandwich, but it's like, I hear you, your wish or your want is for this to be different here is the limit, here is what is going to happen, and I totally get that you're upset about it. So we're just relaying that, and the more genuine we are, like I guess that story I told earlier about my son, I absolutely finally got it. I was like, it's just really hard to separate. It's just really hard to go to bed right now. I get it. And the minute he felt heard, he was just like, yeah, that's it, and that was it. So he already had a good routine in that case, but I think just leaning into it can make a difference. Yeah. yeah. And there's that that saying going around, like, I feel seen or, yeah, and I think that's it. They they just want to feel seen and, and heard and acknowledged like we all do. And we've, I think, yeah, we really need to just sometimes, as much as they're little people, they still have feelings. They still have emotions, a lot of emotions. And yeah, and they need to be acknowledged and understood. Yeah. Yeah, completely. I was working with a beautiful mom and she was up like every night, like she'd gotten to the point where she was in her son's room. And then she was just like, Jen, I'm making 11 honey sandwiches a night. Like it's just, you know, and I said, and I said, is it working for you? She's like, no, it's not. He was exhausted. She was exhausted. Like it was just not working. And it really, like it was incredible that within one night it was just completely reset by just making the decision that it was okay to say, I hear you, you really wish I would lie with you all night. But the thing is it wasn't working for this child. He was up till 10 or 11 o'clock eating honey sandwiches. Um, and then and- probably a wreck the next day and also probably not wanting to eat the next day. So it's just such a cycle, isn't it? And it's that actually like it was driving around in the car at, two o'clock in the morning with a two or three-year-old or putting them in front of the TV because they're asking, I want to watch the TV. And it's like, you know, they just don't, parents just don't know how to navigate that. So I think you've, yeah, touched on some really useful tips to implement when it's. Before we let you go though, can we just have your biggest tips 
for any of our listeners that are heading into the toddler years. (laughs) Brace yourself, guys. (laughs) Oh, my biggest tip. Be really, really kind to yourself. I think that we all think we're going to be a perfect parent until we're in it. And I think the toddler years can really throw us like the big feelings, our child suddenly saying no, and we can think that we've lost that little person. But in fact, they're in there and they're bigger hearted than ever. And a lot of what you see that looks aggressive or difficult is just them struggling with big fears and big emotions. So start with connection every single time. Feel that little emotional carp. Give them, you know, that nine minutes of special time. Really focus on delighting in them and the rest will be a lot easier with that start. And I think as well, like being playful with our toddlers, especially in that lead up can really help as well. Like, cause they just love that. Yeah. We can ask a lot of our toddlers at that time. So just anywhere where you can just be a little bit playful is going to be a bonus. (laughs) Humor is just the best. (laughs) Oh, thank you so much, Jen. I know that I took a lot out of this and I know that our listeners will as well. If anyone would like to get in contact with you, what is the best way? So on social media, it's at Connected Parenting AU and it's the same on TikTok. Otherwise, my website is connectedparenting.com.au and I do one-on-ones and workshops and happy to hear what's happening for people. Perfect. Well, we'll pop all those links in our show notes as well. But yeah, thank you so much for coming on. We have thoroughly enjoyed it. I am going to go to bed tonight and hold plenty of bad <laughs> Usually it comes down, it's usually Mitch. Like, I'm like, no, we are not watching that show tonight. <laughs> My answer is no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, thanks, oh, thank Jen. you, Jen. Thank you so much for joining us for today's episode of the Sleep Teacher Pod. We hope you've walked away feeling just that little bit more at ease with your parenting journey. Please remember, nothing is a problem until it actually becomes a problem for you and your family. If you've enjoyed our company today, we would love if you could please subscribe or leave a review or maybe even both. But if you are wanting more sleep tips right away, use the link in the show notes to find out how you can get started with one of our amazing sleep consultants and follow us over on Instagram at The Sleep Teacher. We can't wait to be back in your ears next week with more sleep tips. Nighty night.